You can turn your Bibles to 3 John. We're going to be finishing up what Matt started last week. We are, can you believe it, after going through Jeremiah, finishing a book of the Bible in two Sundays. So, we're going to be finishing up 3 John this morning, and it's, uh, it's another new year. Many of us are likely considering ways that we can change or adjust our lives um, for the better in the spirit of New Year's resolutions. And even if you're not a fan of resolutions, there's something about January 1 that makes you want to do something different, right? And so, um, as you're examining yourselves this week and onward, I'd like to present to you two men from Third John. One man, Diotrephes, is one that you should not imitate, and one, Demetrius, is one who you should imitate, okay? John is going to give us some details on both, Um, and yeah, we're going to be wrapping up our series, Mission, Support, Global, and Local. We'll be making application from these two men on how we can support local missions, And we will continue. Matt gave us principles for missions last week, and we're going to be continuing uh, by finishing the letter today. My goal this morning is to give you practical encouragements on how you can begin supporting missions locally following Demetrius's example. I'm probably going to say Demetrius or Demetrius's differently almost every time I say it because I can't settle on what sounds better. So just roll with it as I go. Now, we're going to follow Matt's theme from last week, but focus on the local rather than the global. So the New Testament expects local churches to support local, instead of last week's global, mission of making Christ known. To understand our theme this morning, we're going to have three encouragements. The first, pretty easy. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. That's going to be verses 9 through 12. And then we're going to look at 9 through 12 again and sort of make application out of it, okay? And we're going to imitate Demetrius's intentionality. I'm not going to say that that very fast. And then our final encouragement is going to be um, wrapped up into our conclusion as well. And it's going to be presence over pens. And so if you would, pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning that we were, we're going to open and see in Third John. Father, thank you for giving us practical uh, examples in two men, Diotrephes and Demetrius. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged as we see your word in Third John, that we wouldn't simply uh, seek to be better, but that we would submit to Jesus that we would look unto him, seek the kingdom, and that these qualities of Demetrius will be added to us. So, Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we get to pray. Amen. And so, if you're in Third John, we're going to observe our first or our two men. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Matt covered the first eight verses last week, and so if you're there, I'm going to go ahead and read them. And give us some context, okay? So starting in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And so last week we saw that Gaius was obviously someone that John knew personally, that he cared for personally. And Matt pointed out that the, there was obvious brotherhood with these foreign Christians that Gaius had forged by their mutual love for Jesus. He didn't know them from Adam, and yet they could call one another brother because of their mutual love and affection for Christ. So this love and concern, Pastor Matt showed us, ought to be normalized, to make use of his language, among churches. And where it is not yet normal, the cooperation ought to be cultivated. 
Now let us continue in verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so then Matt demonstrated our need for discernment in mission support in manners worthy of God. The call from God's word to support sacrificially in verse 7, we see these foreign brothers did not comment on how nice Gaius was, but they recognized Gaius as a man who loved and glorified God. And Gaius was an encouragement to these brothers because of his worship, not because he gave them a high five and said, hey, what's up, man? Let's go get dinner. Okay? So now... We're going to see that the um, author, John, moves away from discussing Gaius for the remainder of 3 John. He's forced to address Diotrephes and rebuke him formally through this letter. And to continue offering contrast to Diotrephes, John will comment on Demetrius. And so let's start by looking at Diotrephes in verses 9 and 10. So I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, and we're going to unpack it because... um, I would have to imagine, reading Third John, that uh, John was not very happy. He was a little peeved at old Diotrephes, okay? He's going to pack a lot of accusations against Diotrephes in just these two verses. So I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to welcome the brothers and puts them out of the church. So again, there's only two verses there, but they're pretty scathing from old man John, okay? And so let's break down some of what John is accusing Diotrephes of because it's going to be helpful in understanding Demetrius. So selfish, who likes to put himself first, right? You see that in verse 9? Selfish, Diotrephes, we can assume, held some sort of leadership. Um, That's not to say that he was necessarily a pastor or a deacon. Um, He may have been, but he held power nonetheless, Um, We, who have been in church life long enough, have known those individuals who, even if they do not hold an office, they have power within a congregation, okay? They have power within the church. This may have been Diotrephes where he may have held an office, but he, at the very least, held influence um, enough to set people out of the church of those around him. But Diotrephes, who has this sort of power and sway over those around him, did not seek the good of his brothers and sisters. No, who did Diotrephes seek the good of? Himself. Diotrephes used his power, his influence, his authority, not to bless those around him, but for his own gain and benefit. And so let's move on. Second, tyrannical. I went round and round on a good word here. Um, and uh, tyrannical is about the only one that I think could fit. So, does not acknowledge our authority, says John. So, this selfish man does not submit to the, the authority of God, his word, or his apostles, okay? Now, the office of apostle is no longer filled, but it was back then, and so God, Jesus himself, appeared before these men to appoint them to this office. And Diotrephe said, eh, do you know who I am? I'm Diotrephes, which is fun to say. It's a powerful name. I don't think you could get away with it saying Kyle. Kyle's not a very, you know, not a very strong name. Diotrephes, maybe. However, Diotrephes was a ticking time bomb. And so for you, church, be wary of leaders who fail to base their authority from the scriptures. Be wary of leaders who have a lot to say and a lot to command, 
But do not source, base those commands in God's word. Do not follow a Diotrephes. Diotrephes, like the judges that ruled Israel before Saul and the kings, just did what was right in his own eyes. That's a dangerous place to be because we as humans, even if our eyesight is 20-20, we can't see that well. We don't know what is ahead. And so we as Christians trust the eternal word of God. He failed to submit to God. He failed to submit to his word. He failed to submit to the office of apostle in John. But moving on, he was also, to add to the list, a slanderer, which is also kind of fun to say. Double errs are fun. Slanderer. He was talking wicked nonsense against us, which, again, is a fun turn of phrase. Now, obviously, talking bad about people is not good to do, right? You shouldn't say mean things about other people. But slander is a little bit more than that. It's a little more than just saying mean things. It's saying things that will specifically tarnish the reputation of somebody, okay? And so it has uh, more intent to it. It's not just you being grumpy and saying something that you shouldn't have said. It's saying something with the intention of tearing down another individual or a group, I suppose. But consider for a diatrophies, that he was most likely slandering John specifically to discredit him, but also to elevate himself. So he was not simply tearing down John and his authority. Diotrephes, the selfish man that he was, was seeking to elevate his own authority, right? And again, anyone that has worked a job anywhere ever, knows that there are people that uh, work with you that seek to dunk you under the water to sort of keep themselves afloat, right? Like we, that's a, a regular experience for us in the workplace, unfortunately. But Diotrephes was one of these guys. So, as we should be wary of men who do not base their authority in God's word, so also should we be wary of those who have a lot of critique to say about others. Critique is good, okay? Criticism, placed well, is for the good and hopefully for the love of a relationship. But somebody that continually has negative things to say about your leadership Ask yourself the question, what do they have to gain? Diotrephes had a lot to gain from discrediting John, right? He already had this measure of authority, and by discrediting John, he elevated himself. And so this is touchy, this is difficult. However, ask, and ask you in your own heart when you have a criticism or a complaint Am I sharing this for my own gain or for the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ? And the best thing you can do when speaking to a slanderer or someone that you are, I don't really know, is this person a slanderer? Regardless, the best thing you can do is ask them a simple question. Have you spoken to this person about it? I'm upset about X, Y, and Z. Well, have you talked to so-and-so about X, Y, and Z? So you can take some of the guesswork out of it for yourself, and you don't necessarily need to be the one that discerns whether or not that person's a slander. Just point them in the direction of the person that they have a problem with. Okay? And when it comes to leadership, um, I know for me, I can be blissfully unaware at times when I've failed in some way in my relationships. And so I may be going along, not realizing what's going on, and there might be people in the congregation that have an issue with me. Now, if I don't know what's going on, I can't approach you about it, 
right? And so as a congregation, as a family, we need to encourage one another, and it's not just for leadership, it's for just each of you as well. I have a problem. Let's talk about the problem. Because I can confidently say that I never intend to hurt any of you, but I cannot confidently say that I do not hurt any of you. And so I would love to hear those types of complaints, and Matt would as well. So um, if they are a slanderer, however, if you ask them, hey, have you spoken to that person about it, or do you intend to speak to that person about it, what is the answer usually going to be? No, probably not. So moving on, inhospitable, okay? He refuses to welcome these foreign brothers, these foreign Christians, brothers in Christ. Why did he do this? Well, it's a strong rule of thumb that selfish, tyrannical, um, slandering men do not enjoy second opinions, right? If you are known for... Uh, your tyrannical rule, if you are known for bad-mouthing anyone that opposes you, then you probably don't enjoy outside influences into your little kingdom, right? So, this man had discredited other leaders and then refuses to host brothers who could vouch for who? For John. These brothers could vouch for John's love, care, and concern for them, and for the glory of Jesus. So a dishonest man distrusts those around him. And a, fear, a man fearful of showing weakness won't open himself or his home to others. If I don't want you to know the stuff I have under the rug, I'm not going to have you over to my house. Because you know what happens when you come over to my house? You see my kids running around. You see the toys everywhere. You see us like trying to pick up and Asher starts bossing around Rose. Rose starts crying. I mean, you see the chaos of life. You don't see a strong, perfect leader when you have someone over to your home. You typically see that, oh, there's some rough edges to this individual. But a man like Diotrephes is not comfortable showing rough edges. A man like Diotrephes is not comfortable welcoming others into his home. A man like Diotrephes is only concerned with control and having new people in his space is not going to give him that. So, Diotrephes, we have all of these things. We'll close Diotrephes with destructive so also stops those who want, who want to put the brothers up in their homes and puts them out of the church. But Diotrephes was not content with just closing his doors, okay? How we know that this was a, I mean, a very controlling man is that he went around and disallowed others within the congregation from them welcoming the brothers into his home, into their homes. So not only did he control his own, he went as far as to control others. So this is full-blown paranoia and or tyranny from Diotrephes, right? He is either so controlling that he can't allow rogue elements into his congregation, or he is so paranoid that he will lose power that he can't allow rogue elements into his congregation, or maybe it's both. This was a... We have a lot of negative things to say about him, but can we actually say that Diotrephes is an uncommonly troubled individual? Can we look at Diotrephes and not see ourselves in him? Maybe not to this extent. I don't know that any of us have gone as far as to close the doors of other people's homes. But maybe we've wanted to. Right? So as we move away from Diotrephes, don't just see him as a villain in a movie, okay, that you're just supposed to hate Diotrephes, right? 
and then we're going to meet Demetrius, and he's going to be the hero, and we like Demetrius. Well, see yourself in Diotrephes, and then as we look at Demetrius, seek by thy Spirit's help to imitate him as he imitates Jesus. So, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. The New Testament expects local churches to support the local mission of making Christ known. And now that we have seen Diotrephes, we're going to examine Demetrius. So looking at verses 11 and 12. Let's consider Demetrius as the inverse of Diotrephes. Okay, so read verses 11 and 12 with me. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. John is punctuating speaking of Diotrephes with an exclamation point of Demetrius, urging the reader not to imitate evil, but rather to imitate good. Demetrius is offered as the, again, the inverse, the other option to imitate as opposed to Diotrephes. But before we move on, let's look at the qualities of Diotrephes that we should not imitate and consider what qualities we should imitate instead. So first, Demetrius was not selfish, but rather he was sacrificial. Okay? Not selfish, but sacrificial. A man like Demetrius who should be imitated, is not seeking his own advancement, but rather he seeks the advancement of others. A sacrificial man will take opportunities for themselves and offer them to those around him. As creatures made in the image of God, we are hardwired to feel loved and cared for when we see another person sacrificing for our benefit. Why? Because we are hardwired to behold Jesus. And his sacrifice for sinners. So praise God that we can convey in some small way the sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of sinners as we sacrifice for those around us. This doesn't have to be grand romantic gestures. You don't have to rent one of those planes to make the smoke signals in the sky, right? It can be anything. Any sacrifice. Anything that you would enjoy for yourself, taking that as an opportunity to bless others. So seek opportunities to sacrifice your time, yourself, or your resources this week. Moving on, he was not tyrannical, but rather he was under authority. Demetrius would not stand on his own strength, his own skill, or his own intelligence. We actually don't know anything about him, and that's probably for a reason, because None of those qualities are what made him faithful. A man worth imitating stands on the word of God and submits to its authority before his own. Imitate the person that can clearly show you from the Bible why they believe what they believe about life, about money, about work, about freedoms, about anything. Follow that man. A person under authority will not seek to justify their own desires and decisions. They won't seek to uh, find loopholes, I suppose. They're not seeking how to not sin, but they're seeking how to glorify God. So they submit their desires, they submit their decisions to the word of life. Examine yourselves this week and consider whether you seek to justify your freedoms or if you seek to honor God by submitting to his word. And freedoms might be an opportunity for you to sacrifice. Could you possibly sacrifice a freedom for the good and blessing of someone around you? So, he was also not a slanderer, but rather an encourager. If we shouldn't slander, then what should we do with our words instead? Well, my mama told me that if I didn't have anything nice to say, I just shouldn't say anything at all, right? But that's not what the Bible commands us. It's not what the Bible calls us to. 
We're not called to simply be silent instead of slandering, but we ought to encourage with our words. We ought to use our words to build, not to destroy. So if slander tears down, then encouragement builds up. A Demetrius, quote-unquote, is someone who takes opportunity to use their words for the good of those around them. They go out of their way to offer insightful encouragements that can only be born of invested relationship with the brothers and sisters around them, right? So not, it is under the umbrella of encouraging to say, I love you, have a great day, right? But I could say that to literally someone that I bumped into on the street, right? They might look at me a little weird if I said, I love you, hope you have a good day, but they could still accept it, right? Encouragement, I'll say, magnifies its potency, its effectiveness, when you offer specific, like knowing encouragements. Hey, I know that... It's raining outside today, and I know that you have a fear of driving in the rain, and so I want to encourage you that the Lord is sovereign. He will protect you, traveling mercies. So you see how you start to offer a specific to this individual encouragement, okay? So that requires two things. One, it requires you to know people, (laughs) Um, You have to know people well enough to be able to bump into them on the street and actually know something about them, okay? But also to uh, be thoughtful outside of the moment. Um, I manuscript every sermon, okay? So, like, I don't... Matt carries uh, notes and points, and I have, like, the full manuscript of what I'm going to say. Uh, I can, in certain situations, I guess, go off the cuff in conversation. However, with something like encouragement, I can tell you that I personally am far better at specific, unique, tailored encouragement if I spend time outside of the conversation to prepare for it. Okay? I am not very good at specific encouragement like in the moment. Stephanie, really good at it. Me, really bad, okay? I have to prepare. And so if you are like me, if you don't have just a specific gift to uh, make someone feel cared for in your encouragement, then prepare. If you know that you're going to see somebody, um, spend some time preparing, like, man, what can I say that is specific to them, unique to their season today, that would be an encouragement to them. It doesn't have to be for everybody, like Sunday morning. That'd be a lot of notes, right, if you prepared everyone that you were going to see. But maybe one person that you see on Sunday mornings. Encourager. A Demetrius is not someone that slanders, but someone that encourages. So encourage someone specific to the season that they are in right now this week. If you know that something is going on with someone, like, shoot them a message, give them a call, write them a letter, and encourage them. So, moving on, he was not inhospitable, but, this one's easy, he was hospitable. Yeah, you didn't even have to switch the word. So, what is hospitality? It is, is it simply having people over? Yeah, that's part of it, Right? But consider the love that Gaius showed the foreign brothers. Hospitality is not simply having people over. That's just an element of it. Hospitality is being able to make strangers feel like family. Okay? So you don't even have to do that in your home, necessarily. I think it's easiest to do it in your home. (laughs) Um, And that's, like, what I prefer to do. But it's making strangers feel like family. Right? So Christian hospitality is reflecting our God who took strangers and rebels, us, right? And 
made them into children of God. He adopted them into his family. He adopted us who have repented and believed into his family. He made strangers feel like family. And praise God that he didn't just make us feel like family. He made us family. So, hospitality, consider how you could make some brothers or sisters in Christ feel like a part of your family this week. Not destructive, but, and you're going to want to say constructive, and I think that that's like the better turn of phrase, but it's not as, you know, it's not specific to what we're talking about. So I went with upbuilding instead, okay? Not destructive, but upbuilding. And finally, a Demetrius is an upbuilding individual. Diotrephes allowed his own delusions to pervert the lives of others by forbidding these foreign missionaries, these foreign Christians, from being welcomed into their homes. A Demetrius, however, will lead others by example in having those brothers over, right? Just as Diotrephes' <laughs> destructive actions were the culmination of his selfishness, his tyrannical desires, his slander, and his inhospitality. So will Demetrius's being sacrificial, under authority, encouraging, and hospitable, likewise result in building up those around him. Okay? Diotrephes was a toxic element that resulted in the destruction of those around him, where Demetrius must have been a beneficial element that resulted in the construction, the upbuilding of those around Demetrius. So, how can you share your own burdens or encouragements that God is working in your life with someone else this week? And consider that building someone else up is not only sharing your good stuff, your praises, but eh, you don't have to raise your hand, um, but I'll raise mine. How many of us are encouraged when other people share their burdens, their struggles with you, right? Building other people up isn't just saying, where God is succeeding in your life, but where you are failing in your life. Because even though we say it every week, we know it's true, we know that we're all sinners, we know that we're all, you know, the worst, we still somehow manage to believe that we're the only one sinning, messing up, failing, or doing something wrong week to week. And then we come back together and we feel as, oh man, they're so happy. Oh, they had a great week with Jesus. I'm just, man, I'm just the worst, right? So, building up those around you, challenge yourself. Don't just, don't ignore the praises, okay? Because I will also raise the other hand. I am encouraged when I see God doing good things, working in other people's lives, right? But share both. Sure, good and a bad. So, um, before we move on to application, I want to ring the same bell that Pastor Matt rang last week, okay? So, I want to ask you, why was Demetrius a faithful Christian that John encourages us to imitate? What made Demetrius so special? Like, what was his motivation? What drove this man towards faithful living? Is he just better than you? Is he just better than me? Probably better than me. Did John command us to imitate Demetrius because he's nice? Because a lot of these qualities, sacrificial, under authority, encouraging, hospitable, upbuilding, um, a lot of these are really easy when you're just a naturally nice person, Right? Like, I'm not naturally nice. I'm too sarcastic for it. So I end up, like, making people upset more than I end up, like, making people feel like, cared for. Again, this is where Stephanie is way more, like, better equipped than me for these things naturally. Right? But we're not following Demetrius because he's a nice guy. 
But I'll make this even more difficult. Did John command us to imitate Demetrius because he was sacrificial, specific, okay? Was it because he was under authority? Was it because he was encouraging? Was it because he was hospitable? Was it because he was upbuilding? What if I said, not really? Okay? Demetrius was surely all these things, and yes, we ought to, yeah, I mean, imitate these things as far as they go, but these qualities are not why we ought to imitate Demetrius. They're secondary. Okay? Demetrius was a faithful Christian, but why? The answer is pretty simple. It's because Demetrius loved the Lord his God. Okay? So church, don't believe the lie that you must succeed and accomplish to be worthy of imitation. You don't need to have a resume for others to imitate you as you imitate Jesus. We're not called to imitate Demetrius because of these qualities. Notice that I brought these qualities out. John didn't. As far as we know, Demetrius is just a normal guy. But he obviously loved the Lord is God. That is why we ought to imitate Demetrius. So rather than boasting in what your resume says, boast in your weaknesses that God may be glorified because of the righteousness of Jesus that covers you. It's not the righteousness of Demetrius that saves you. It's the righteousness of Christ. So remain on the course, Christian. And continue loving the Lord your God who purchased you with the blood of Jesus and who sealed you by the power of the Spirit. Seek the kingdom and glory of God and sacrificial living, submission, encouragement, hospitality, and upbuilding will be added to you as the Lord conforms you to the image of his Son. As we heard in the scripture reading this morning, there will come a day that we will see Jesus And become like him. These qualities that Demetrius likely had. These will be ours in Christ. They're not ours by our own just sweat and tears. Okay? So Demetrius lived to glorify his God just as we are all created to do. We love our God because he loved us first. We love our neighbor because God loves and loved his neighbor first. And we imitate Demetrius, not because Demetrius is great, but because Demetrius imitates Jesus. So, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. The New Testament expects local churches to support the local mission of making Christ known. Now... Got our two guys, right? Let's, uh, let's apply what we've learned. And so we're going to see our second point, imitate <clears throat> Demetrius's intentionality and have hope. The first point was the longest. So we're on a downward slope now. So we're going to look at verses 9 through 12 again. <clears throat> Knowing then that we are to imitate Demetrius as he is imitating Jesus, how do we apply that to mission support? In short, intentionality is the answer, okay? Or it's going to be the application that I make this morning, at least. Intentionality is defined as being deliberate or purposive, which I didn't even know purposive was a word. But it's a helpful one, right? To have purpose, to be purposive, right? Well, remember that the entire context of 3 John, of the book, revolved around these foreign Christians being welcomed into homes, okay? It was what John encouraged Gaius about. It's what he was rebuking Diotrephes about. And then Demetrius was offered as a imitate this guy instead. Right? These Christians were being received and then sent as missionaries to continue sharing the gospel of Jesus with those around him. How can we then be intentional like Demetrius? Okay? Well, conveniently, I've already offered you these suggestions. And so I'm just going to repeat them. 
they're going to be on the board, and they're going to be pretty quick, but I do have printouts in my office if you're taking notes and you can't keep up, because you probably won't be able to. Sacrificial. Seek opportunities to sacrifice your time, self, or resources this week. Okay? Under authority. Examine yourselves this week and consider whether you seek to justify your freedoms or if you seek to honor God by submitting to his word. And then encouraging. I think these are different slides. Unless it didn't save, right? There we go. Encouraging. Encourage someone specific to the season they are in right now. Hospitable. Consider how you could make the some brothers or sisters in Christ feel like a part of your family. Upbuilding. How can you share your own burdens or encouragements that God is working in your life with someone else this week? Now, we, um, I know I, have encouraged you ad nauseum to fulfill these encouragements, these challenges with brothers and sisters here at Cedarview, right? And if you are like me, then you hearing these challenges, your assumptions are, uh, how can I accomplish this again here at Cedarview? But what if I challenged you to fulfill these encouragements with faithful brothers and sisters from other churches in the community? So mission support local is one way of describing it, I suppose, could be taking the love and care that you extend to your congregation and reaching out to brothers and sisters outside of Cedarview to encourage them just as you would encourage one another. Okay? So we have focused a lot on building one another up here at Cedarview. And that's important because if you can't build one another up here, then what hope do you have to build people up anywhere else? Right? But so the reason, or one of many reasons, I suppose that we're doing this mini-series, Mission Support Global and Local, is to begin shifting gears, to begin understanding that in addition to caring for one another well, we have opportunity to care for those outside of this. So, um, to give you some really practical examples, what if you sought to build up another local pastor in our area? Okay, send him a letter. Matt, uh, Matt and I can give you a bunch of names of guys that would love to be encouraged by you. What if you sacrifice some time or resources to support a local mission? I'm sure there's lo- tons of local ministries that would love to have you knock on their door and say, hey, I got, uh, got three hours. What can I do? Right? What if you reached out to have someone in your home? So maybe you have people that you know that worship at other congregations. Um, Seek to encourage them and ask them specific questions like, man, I'm encouraged in this way at Cedarview, and these are some things that we're working through as a congregation, right? Uh, tell 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 me about your church. Like, how are you encouraged, and what are you guys, like, struggling through? What are some maybe some issues that I can pray about, right? Welcome other believers into your home. Now, I'm giving you these suggestions, but before you get carried away and become overwhelmed immediately, as again, I tend to do when I hear these types of suggestions, I'm immediately like thinking, okay, so then if I need to devote this amount of hours, so I need to do, I'm like doing math, okay? Before you go down that road, let me encourage you. Neither I nor the Bible here are commanding you to change everything about your lives, okay? Don't change your rhythms. Rather than considering how you might change your normal routines, instead consider how you might use your normal routines to begin supporting local missions. You guys, like 
everyone probably have at least a skeleton of your week that pretty much happens week in and week out, right? It may not be all the exact same details, but you're going to eat, right? You're going to go shopping for something, like groceries, even if you're just picking them up. You're going to go do something with your week um, in terms of habits and routines. Consider how you might use those to welcome someone else in, to bless someone else, okay? Carpool to go pick up your groceries from Kroger, whatever it may be, okay? Um, but don't, don't go immediately trying to change your entire life. Rather, try to make your routines work for you. So, I don't, um, likewise, I don't present these suggestions in order to replace areas of your life. Um, and I don't expect you to replace your responsibilities to your family or to Cedarview. Rather, this series, these two sermons, seek to balance your understanding of how to care for those around you, okay? And this is going to be something that we're going to continue to develop as the year goes on. So, I'm focusing on intentionality for the application this morning uh, because opportunities to support local missions will come and go, okay? Um, You're not going to be able to pull this off every week. Opportunities are going to come and go. I'm encouraging you to look for these opportunities, okay? So intentionality over, like, performing. I'm not expecting you to actually find other local missionaries, local Christians to support every week. It's probably not going to work out. We're all pretty busy people, right? But I want you to start looking for these opportunities. I want you to start considering Spending some time, like, how could I use this routine? How could I go to the grocery store? How could I go to work? How could I um, watch this, like, television show, sports game, whatever, with the added uh, role of blessing someone else? So, in Cedarview, remember that Demetrius is presented, again, as a normal dude. All right, Demetrius is the poster boy for an average, repenting, faithful Christian. Demetrius failed. Demetrius sinned. Demetrius messed up. Demetrius is like you. But Demetrius loved the Lord his God, and we ought to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Imitate him as he repents. He's a faithful dude who simply presses on in the faith by the power of the Spirit. So rather than considering how you might change your normal routines, use your normal routines for local missions. Now, we're going to look at presence over pens. Our final encouragement um, is going to be short. We're going to close with this. Let me read. I had much to write to you, but would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Pen and ink may be outdated to our younger brothers and sisters, but don't misunderstand the point that John is making. For the sake of understanding these verses, consider any and all forms of communication apart from speaking face to face in proximity as pen and ink. Okay, so I had much to say to you, but I would rather not text you, right? I had much to say to you, but I would rather not call you. I had much to say to you, but I would rather not use social media. I had much to say to you, but I would rather not FaceTime, whatever it may be. I had much to say to you, but I want to see you face to face. Do you see where I'm going yet? So church, as we conclude and as we seek to imitate Demetrius as he imitates Jesus in intentional living, make use of every tool at your disposal. John was writing a letter here, right? He's using pen and ink. Use text messages. Use your phone, FaceTime, social media, whatever. Use them 
but don't only rely on pen and ink. Okay? John teaches us in his closing statements that presence is superior to pens. We more effectively reflect Jesus through sacrifice, submission, encouragement, hospitality, upbuilding, and by spending time with brothers and sisters face to face. Okay? You can fulfill your ministry more effectively by spending time with people. Now, we can't do that again with everybody. This is a slim Sunday right? There's a lot of people missing weather, um, events. It's that time of year, right? But even just the people in this room, can you spend two or more hours with everyone in this room this week? I can't. Don't think that texting, calling, writing letters are bad, okay? But they ought to be supplements for one-on-one or group face-to-face time. As we conclude, we're going to read verse 15. It'll be on the screen. Peace be the friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Seek to know your brothers and sisters. Cedarview. Know them by name. Know their encouragements. Know their trials, know their burdens. Know them as you are known by God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus, as I have described this morning, then come. Pastor Matt and I would love to counsel you and encourage you to know him. If you know Jesus and desire to thus, then come. And if you're responding in your seats, I encourage you, to ask God to change your heart. Submit yourself to be moved and shaped by the Spirit this morning. Pray with me.